welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Emily Smith of Guide to Wholeness, and I am so excited to share this episode with you, which happens to be the last episode of season three. So we will start back again in 2023 in the new year. And I'm excited for season four and already have some amazing guests lined up. And today's guest is Kim Menninger. She's an executive coach, TEDx speaker, and host of the Imposter Syndrome Files podcast. She's passionate about empowering professionals to become more confident, visible, and influential leaders. Having spent over 10 years in the high-tech industry, she understands the challenges of working in dynamic, fast-paced environments and strives to be the resource to others she wishes she had in her own career. Kim has a BA in psychology and MBA from Boston College. She is an ICF professional certified coach with certifications in confidence, career, executive, and leadership development coaching. You can connect with Kim on LinkedIn, and you can also check out her podcast and her Um, imposter syndrome challenge seven days to greater confidence all linked in this episode so check it out in the show notes so i also want to share her instagram imposter syndrome files online will also be linked in the show notes so i hope you enjoy this episode we really dive deep on confidence visibility and advocating for yourself at work and really being powerful and creating influence and working with different leadership styles and also the future of work and what that looks like so i think you're going to really like this episode as a high power high powered woman and let me know by leaving a review and sharing with a friend that could use this episode enjoy Welcome to the podcast, Kim. I'm so excited to have you here and to talk more about leadership and imposter syndrome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Emily. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Yes, me too. So first off, what really brought you to this world of coaching? What's your background that led you to the type of coaching that you're doing now? So I stumbled into high tech. I studied psychology when I was in college. I've always been drawn to what makes humans tick. I've been really fascinated by human behavior my whole life. And I always thought I would become a psychologist. But when I decided not to go into a PhD program, I actually joined a high tech company. And I was just really fascinated by the psychology of the business world. And so I was really fascinated by just the interpersonal dynamics in the workplace. I never worked in HR. I always worked as a relationship manager. So I was under the sales and marketing umbrella. And it just was a really interesting experience for me. I got an MBA. It was, it was focused on leadership. And I always thought I would stay in that world, that I would just continue to climb the ladder, so to speak. And then my older son was born. And it just got me thinking in a whole new way. And I actually went on maternity leave and started doing some soul searching and thinking about how I wanted to use my skills and where I thought I could add the greatest value. And I thought, you know what? I really want to try to address some of the challenges that people experience in the workplace from the outside. So I started my own business, 
about 12 years ago now. And I've been doing that ever since. Wow. I really resonate with that too. Like understanding the psychology of why people are the way that they are and how that works. So I love that you took that journey of understanding like what you are passionate about and, and really leading you to starting your own business. And you are a huge proponent of, you know, bringing your authentic, unique self to work. And you have a TED talk on how to bring your diverse voice to the workplace. And so I'd love to hear from you. How does one start to do that? And what's, what are some barriers that are currently in the way of people bringing their unique self to work? Well, this is a really interesting question because as you know, I have had a specialty in imposter syndrome for some time now. And when I started thinking about imposter syndrome, I was really focused on the individual and how to address the self-doubt and some of the mindsets that show up when you have that kind of feeling of, oh no, I'm a fraud and I'm going to be found out. And as I got more involved in that work and started having deeper conversations, started having more conversations, I started to realize there's way more to this story than the mindsets that we have in our head. There's so much of our experience and our relationship with confidence and self-trust that stems from the environment that we operate within. And so it's not the case that people feel imposter syndrome in every different scenario in their lives. It's really episodic. And so I started to dig into what are the kinds of situations that cause people to feel more like an imposter or to feel um, you know, more self-doubt. And what I found was that it's often situational. It's often triggered by either the presence of intimidating people, the fear of being judged, toxic work environments, hypercritical people, um, teams where there isn't a lot of psychological safety. And so when I think about this ability to bring our authentic selves to the workplace, it sounds great if we just all were to be able to say, okay, today I'm going to flip that switch and I'm going to bring my full self to the workplace. But if I don't feel safe to do that, if I don't feel like I'm going to be included or I'm going to be welcome as my full self, I'm never going to do that. And so I think that there is more complexity to the conversation than just making that individual choice. It really comes down to assessing your environment and deciding, is this a place where I can safely do that? Yes, I completely see that it's many factors at play. And I learned about psychological safety. Yeah, I think in the last year or so that term and really, can you share a bit more about what that is and what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So I will use Amy Edmondson's definition of this because she's the leading researcher in this space. And she mm -hmm. talks about psychological safety as really the belief that you won't be punished or humiliated for asking a question, sharing an idea, or making a mistake. Mm. So if you fear at all that someone's going to judge you or you're going to be humiliated because you take a risk or you show up in a way that maybe is different from the people around you, then you are going to be motivated to protect yourself from that consequence. And often that results in people playing small, in people erring on the side of caution. So let's say a great example of this that I hear all the time is I'm sitting in a meeting, I have an idea, 
And then I start to think to myself, well, if this were a good idea, someone would have shared it already, right? Do I put myself out there in that way? And if I'm in an environment that has more psychological safety, I know that, you know, if even if it's not an idea that's embraced, it's still an idea that will be respected and it will be valued because it's an important contribution to the conversation, I'm much more likely to take that risk. If, however, I feel like I'm going to get my hand slapped for doing that, then I'm just going to sit here quietly and I'm not going to contribute. Right, right. That's so true. And so the culture really has to allow for that psychological safety, right? For people to feel safe to speak up and um, take risks and ultimately, you know, grow and contribute in the best way possible, right? Exactly. And the unfortunate effect of that is that in that moment, when I choose not to speak up, I'm disempowered, right? I don't get to bring my best self to this conversation. And the group loses out on my unique idea, which might've caused a turning point in the conversation. So, So it's not it's not like playing it safe is a neutral thing. It's actually a loss. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That is really, really helpful to understand the impact of playing small. And on a similar note, you know, thinking about different people and how they show up at work, like introverts, for example, how can introverts uh, you know, really self-promote at work without feeling icky. I think that this is a tricky subject because, you know, you want to show that you're providing value. And a lot of times just doing the work at a high quality isn't enough. You have to make people understand the value. So how do you, you know, support clients or that are introverts to self-promote or show, show their value that way? That's a really important question too. And I often think about the fact that workplaces are inherently biased towards extroverts, that a lot of the action takes place in meetings. A lot of people are rewarded for being the loudest or the fastest to speak. And so there's a lot of implicit and explicit pressure on introverts to behave more like extroverts. And then whenever we feel different from the people around us, we start to doubt ourselves and think there must be something wrong with me. I need to be more like these people. And so I think what is really important to recognize is that there is great value to both introversion and extroversion. And just because you're seeing the extroverts around you get rewarded for their behaviors doesn't mean you have to adopt that persona. Now, certainly there are going to be times when it makes sense to push yourself outside of your comfort zone. You know, if there are certain high, higher profile conversations or meetings that are happening, that might be one of the more effective ways that you get visibility, that you get Mm -hmm. uh, an opportunity to shine. But what I think is even more important is that you assess what are the activities or what are the kinds of interactions where you can show up as your most confident self. And if that means that I show up much more confidently when I'm talking in a one-on-one conversation than when I'm talking in a bigger group, then use the one-on-one conversation for those kinds of promotional activities. Meaning instead of my trying to compete with all these people who are sucking up all the oxygen in the room, 
I'm going to make sure that I reach out after the meeting to one or more of the influencers in the conversation and say, hey, you know, I had some additional ideas I'd like to share with you. I'm going to schedule 10 minutes on your calendar so we can continue the conversation. Or I'm going to talk to some people ahead of the meeting because I know that I'll be able to articulate what I want to say more comfortably in a one-on-one -on -one and then maybe even ask them to help me navigate this conversation by creating space for me or you know bringing me into the conversation things that I know are going to work for me and feeling more comfortable in that environment. I like that. I like that a lot. It's working with your strengths and making an impact in the way that, you know, you can and you'll be most received in the best way. That is super helpful. And, you know, talking about influence, I know from, you know, doing some research and looking at your work that you are focused on helping women build influence and visibility and confidence at a company and, why is influence important? And do you have any tips around starting to build influence? I do. So I think that influence is important because that's your opportunity to have a voice, mm. decisions that drive the business. And not everybody wants that. And that's fine too. But if you do want to have a bigger voice, one of the things that I often think about, and this is not necessarily a popular thing to say, but I think it's important to emphasize is people will often say to me, I stay out of office politics, right? I hate politics. Mm -hmm. I don't get involved. And they, um, and, and in doing so, they, what I say to them is, look, you have every right to do that. But if you make a choice to avoid office politics, you're inherently making a choice to remove yourself from the influence loop and you can't have it both ways. And so when I think about influence, it's really being tied into the informal power structure, right? Every organization has a, a formal power structure that is their org chart. You've got, you know, the, the CEO at the top, and then you've got all of these people from the pyramid that are working your way down. But there are always people too who are have power because of the information that they have, the expertise that they have, the connections that they have. And if you're so busy keeping your head down and doing work and avoiding those kinds of relationships or those kinds of interactions, then you don't know what kind of work product is going to best align with the goals of the larger organization. You don't know what kind of a message you need to deliver in order to get buy-in from the people around you. And so while it might not be your favorite thing to do, it might be uncomfortable. If you want to grow, if you want to lead, you have to be willing to step outside of that comfort zone, interact with people, even, and sometimes, especially the people you don't like, mm -hmm. uh, because you can often learn something from them and they probably compliment you in ways that are really important so that you have access to that informal power structure and you can better navigate the system. Yeah, that is so key and so important and something that, you know, like you were saying, you you are staying out of the politics. You think it's a good option and really it's just playing it safe and you actually need to be involved to make better decisions in the work that you're doing. So that is really helpful to understand the informal power structure. And what about visibility? Like what does visibility look like in a company? This one is often the most difficult to 
do if you are uncomfortable with the idea of self-promotion. And I often say there's a, a big ick factor associated with the idea of self-promotion. But my philosophy on visibility and self-promotion in the workplace is that you are hired for a reason. You're hired because of your unique combination of skills and strengths and capabilities. You're not hired to fill headcount. So when you come into your role, if you are not reaching out proactively to the people around you and saying, this is what I know, and this is how I can help you, then mm. you're making the jobs of the people around you harder than they need to be because they can't take advantage of those unique strengths that you offer. So I think of it as almost people often think it's selfish to self-promote. I actually think it's selfish to be your company's best kept secret. Because again, it means that you're depriving people of an opportunity to leverage your skills. I think that if you want to be more visible and you want to self-promote in ways that feel more authentic to you, to think about it as coming from a place of service. And what I mean by that is to just look around and say, how can I help, right? If it's always yeah. coming from a place of how can I use my strengths in service of something that's bigger than me? And that could mean something like I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm listening, which is another thing we could talk about. A lot of times we're just multitasking, right? We're not really paying attention, but let's say I'm just listening to the themes that are coming up in this conversation. And I hear something that keeps coming up as a problem. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I've helped out with that kind of a problem in the past. My opportunity then becomes one in which I can reach out to those people afterwards and say, hey, I heard you talking about this and I want to let you know that I have some best practices or I have some experience in this area and I would be happy to help you with this. Yeah. And then no one's going to say, oh my gosh, listen to her brag. <laughs> They're going to say, oh, that's wonderful. Even if I don't need you right in this very moment, now I know you're out there and you now have built a new relationship with somebody else who now sees your value, sees you as someone who has taken initiative and you've got a new connection. Yeah, I love that perspective because it's so true. That's all you're doing is providing value, being clear about how you can serve. And ultimately, I, I love that important focus that you're saying to be proactive because people aren't going to know to reach out to you and you are the one with that knowledge. So I think that completely takes out the ick factor. And when you take it outside of yourself and focus on the problem, the solution you provide, that is a very helpful way to shift that. I really like that. And then the last piece is confidence. So what does it look like to build confidence in your role at a company? So I want to quickly interrupt our conversation to share an announcement that the audio version of my book, Wholeness Within, Insights from One Woman's Journey of Creating a Life and Career in Alignment, is now live on Audible. It is so, so great to have my story out there in this way and hearing from so many of you that have resonated with this version of my story and the audio. So you can find that on Audible. And I'm including a snippet from Chapter 3, New York City. Life keeps bringing back similar events in an attempt to heal us because when making a different choice in a similar situation, there is an opportunity to transmute the old wound. So I think this confidence is not 
a constant feeling of comfort. Right? <laughs> Confidence is not that like, oh, I'm super uh, sure of myself and mm. nothing gets me down. Like nothing causes self-doubt. Confidence in my mind is trusting yourself. It's recognizing that these triggers of self-doubt, these moments of imposter syndrome are inevitable because we're human and because our brains are wired to keep us safe from harm. And so we're always extra vigilant about potential threats. And we don't make a good distinction between the threat of an actual predator and the threat of something like failure or humiliation. And so our brains sort of overreact to things and there are a lot of false alarms. And when that happens, often what comes out of that is that voice of the inner critic that says, you can't do this. You're going to fail. You're a fraud. Really, I think of it as a way of getting your attention so that you'll go back into your comfort zone. It's not a fact. It's not truth that this voice is telling you. It's raising the alarm so that you are forced to make a different choice. And, and I think if we know that about ourselves, if we know, you know what, this is not a true statement. This is my, I call it my overactive bodyguard, right? That's just yeah. trying to be safe then I can respond differently. And so if you know that's happening and you know what kinds of situations trigger it, you can anticipate that it's going to happen. And then you can have a plan for when it does. You can have tools available to you to manage through it. And that's where confidence come from, comes from. It's not that I'm ever going to eliminate self-doubt. It's that I know self-doubt is out there and I know how to manage it when it shows up. Yes, yes. Having that awareness that the voice is just trying to keep you in your comfort zone. It's not truth. I think that is everything you really need to keep moving forward and feel confident in just doing that and understanding that you have what it takes and that, you know, your voice is louder than that voice of fear and your ego that is telling you to like stay safe. I love that. And I want to go back to talking about, you know, showing up authentically and working in an environment with a lot of different personality types. So I went to a event that you spoke at with Wes and it was about leadership types and what's your leadership style. And I got so much out of it and really enjoyed that system that you shared and I even am at my full-time job next week going to do a short little synopsis of what I learned and cite your training that you did. And yeah, I really am excited to share it with my team. Um, So I'd love if you could share a bit, like how did you discover these leadership types and maybe you could share a bit about a few of them um, with my listener. Yeah, absolutely. So I was introduced to this model and it's actually the Deloitte business chemistry profiles. I really love this model and it's on their website. If you go to, if you just Google it, you'll be able to find it. And what I love about this model in particular, because I think many of us are familiar with the different personality inventories out there, like the Myers-Briggs or the DISC, is that this one is very much designed to be work oriented. It's very much designed based on observable behaviors. So it's something, it's a model that's very user-friendly. You don't need to be certified in it. It's not an expensive tool. You can 
go to their website, you can get the materials and you can just do it informally in your own team. And what I love about it is that it gives you these very clear profiles that when you read them, you can immediately think to yourself, that's John from manufacturing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, or, you know, you can instantly see yourself. And what's valuable about having a model like this is that even though many of us intellectually recognize that we each have a different communication style or we each have a different personality style, when we find ourselves in the heat of the moment where we're, you know, we're, we're feeling triggered by something or we're in conflict that kind of insight goes out the window. And we immediately start to tell ourselves stories that the reason why John is showing up the way he is, is not because he's of a different profile than I am and maybe values different information or communicates differently than I do. It's because he's a jerk or because I'm not good enough. And that's causing John to treat me this way. And it's usually something that we tell ourselves that's not favorable to ourselves or to somebody else. And if we can stop and have this kind of shared language, this common model that we all look to, we can even use that in dialogue with each other and it can lighten the mood too. So for example, one of the, one of the dimensions or one of the personality profiles is the um, pioneer. And that's the person who's the big visionary. They like to think in ideas and to be forward thinking and they don't like details. So they are not interested in how something's going to get done. They just want to focus on what's it going to look like. And that is how I identify. I really like to dream big. I could sit around and brainstorm all day long, right? Uh, I, another profile is the guardian. And these are the people who want all the details. They want systems and processes, and they're going to ask all the nitpicky questions. And if you're a pioneer, and you're in conversation with a guardian who's asking you all these questions, you're probably going to start feeling really frustrated, right? I know when I'm brainstorming and someone starts to ask me, well, how are you going to get that done? How much is it going to cost? What kind of resources do you need? I'm like, stop raining on my parade, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm having fun here. Stop doing that. But I think what's really important to recognize is that if you had a team full of pioneers, you would get nothing done. And if you had a team full of guardians, you would get nothing done. And so even though there's friction, and even though it's not always pleasant to have to interact with people who have different styles than we do, we need each other in order to get the job done. And so that's why I said earlier that sometimes it's even more important that we interact with people we don't like, because often the reason we don't like them is because they make us uncomfortable in some way. They challenge us in some way. And it would be easy for me to say, I don't want any guardians in my life because they, they make my, uh, you know, they make it less fun for me to do the kind of thinking that I want to do. I would never get anything done. And so I think it's really important that we understand ourselves and we understand each other so that we can better appreciate those differences. And so that we can adjust our own style to best connect with what we know about other people's styles. Yes. Yeah. I also resonate as a pioneer as well. And I think that was something that I really had to adjust to in my most recent role. You know, I think I was just chatting with a coworker today, how we think so many people in the company are guardians, like very um, analytical. And I really had to shift my approach in um, coming to my colleagues in a way where I had more of my ideas baked out and have a process. And it was helpful for me to start to bring those to life instead of just having it 
be a concept because same here, I could spend all day just coming up and I have so many ideas and it's like, okay, how are we going to actually like bring these to life? So I love that it really is true that you need all the types together and understanding how to work effectively with each one just helps people work better and minimize um, conflicts at work, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you work with a lot of different women at many reputable companies. And I love what you post on LinkedIn too. I love to hear what you see as, you know, the future of work that people want. I'm seeing just from my own insight that people really want employee-centric cultures. They want to feel like they can be somewhere where they can show up authentically. And I'd love to hear more like what you see as like a vision of the future of the workplace. I think that employee-centric culture should be the highest priority for any organization right now. I think that has always been true, but I think the pandemic brought to the surface a lot of challenges or a lot of ways in which the system has been broken that maybe we didn't have language for or didn't feel empowered to address. And it just feels so short-sighted to me or so distorted to think that investing in your humans is somehow not a good use of your time or your resources. Because, you know, for, for many, many years, the basic sentiment, whether it was articulated this way or not, has always been just check your humanity at the door, right? We don't have time yeah. for this you know, squishy kinds of fluffy stuff. We have work to do and we don't invest in anything we can't measure, et cetera, et cetera. And the thing that is just so mind-blowing to me is that no matter what kind of metrics you set for your organization, you know, financially or whatever, it requires humans in order to achieve those yeah. goals. Right? We, we have not reached a point yet where there are any organizations that are entirely automated. And so while we still have humans in the workplace, it's not just for the sake of the humans, but for the sake of the business to really think about how do we get the most out of our people and we get the most of, out of our people by treating them with respect, by listening to what they need in order to do their best work, by acknowledging that a person could sit in front of their computer for 16 hours a day, but you're not getting product productivity out of them for 16 hours a day. The brain doesn't work that way. So forcing people to work for show, um, driving them into the ground is not actually going to lead to the outcomes that you're looking for. It's more than likely going to lead to your losing really good people. And so I'm hopeful that we have reached a point where the demand for these kinds of changes is so high and so unavoidable that we can no longer move back to the way things were. I think it's going to be different company to company, but my hope is that we will recognize that you you need your humans and that your humans are worthy of the respect um, that they deserve. Yeah, I really love to hear that. And I completely agree. It's just come to such a point where it's 
it's so important and can't be ignored any longer. And so I am excited for this shift and like how we work and um, and what that will bring because like you said, so many things came up during the pandemic that are just unavoidable now and and companies are made up of people and business does well when people are feeling happy and that they have autonomy and flexibility. So it's just unavoidable. And that's just exciting, I think, for both employers and employees. And would love to hear from you. How do you support your clients? um, And where can my listener find you online? Oh, thank you for asking that. So I offer a variety of different services. I do one-on-one coaching, but I also do group coaching. One of my favorite things to do is my confidence boot camp because what it does is it brings people within an organization together to have these tough conversations about what makes us feel self-doubt and how can we better support each other to normalize that experience because so often we think I'm the only one who feels this way. Everyone else has it all figured out. And so it creates a safe space for us to let our guards down, expose kind of the messiness. And then through that insight, have tools to better manage our own confidence and our own self-doubt and also know that we can show up more effectively for others so that they have better confidence. And then it becomes a ripple effect so that we all, we all have a more enjoyable, safer workplace. So those are the primary ways in which I um, support my clients is through individual coaching or through group programs. And uh, the best place to find more information is on my website at yourcareersuccess.com. I also love to connect on LinkedIn. You had mentioned I'm very active. Yes. So anybody interested in connecting with me there, I like to share a lot of content from the sources that I follow that are related to a lot of the themes that we've been discussing today. Yeah, that all sounds incredible. So check out Kim on her website and yeah, follow her on LinkedIn. I really like the articles that you're posting and also your podcast, um, The Imposter Files, which I was also a guest on, um, is a great resource as well. So I want to thank you so much, Kim, for coming on and speaking with me. This has been so, so insightful. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Well, thank you, Emily. I loved your questions and so grateful for the opportunity. You're welcome.